Rotation Physiotherapy and Ballistic Sports present Out of the Park with Barry Davis. Follow Ballistic on Twitter at Ballistic underscore sports. This week, former Blue Jay Josh Toley shares with us some of the many unique secrets about catching the knuckleball. If I called the fastball, he was never allowed to throw a knuckleball, right? But if I put a knuckleball down, which we used the one as the knuckleball, he was allowed to throw any pitch. And now, a man who's got no hope of ever catching a major league knuckleball. He's got no business behind a plate, but he does know a thing or two about squatting. Here's Barry Davis. I'm actually squatting right now. See, squatting squatting can also be a good thing, Tom. Right? You know, you know, everybody thinks squatting is like, you know, sitting on the toilet. But uh, squatting is something you can do for exercise. Barry, I, right. I'd like to thank you for addressing this squatting stigma. Squatting stigma. Uh, yeah. No one could squat like Josh Tolley could squat. And we're going to have a very fun conversation with him today. In fact, he is going to reveal something to us that he doesn't think he's ever said to anyone. Ever. Maybe. Possible. But it's a great conversation. And uh, we had a chance to have, uh, I think, four, three or four of our... Four OTP insiders joined us. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. No one else gives you the opportunity to sit in, folks. And keep reminding you that it's very, very cool. Uh, and and I just want to point out, yeah. Barry, this week was the first week in a while where our insiders there weren't tears shed during the interview. No, this is true. This is true. <laughs> it, it, it's so for those a, of you that haven't witnessed one of these, that's right. You're missing out on some really special stuff. Exactly. We do have a lot of fun with Josh Tolley on this week's episode. Uh, we do have a poll, and it was a very successful poll. It was a very short poll, <laughs> very one-sided poll. We'll get to very those results. Poll. Yes, exactly. We'll also talk to Raj Sapaya about a very scary thing that happened to Tiger Woods this week. But up next, Thomas, I have a thing or two to say about something that was announced this past week regarding the Toronto Blue Jays. There's Tom. I'm Barry, and you're listening to Out of the Park. Ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys, the first pitch with Barry Davis. Two balls and two strikes on him. Here's the pitch on the way, a swing and a belt. Left field, way back. Blue Jays win it. The Blue Jays are World Series champions as Joe Carter hits a three-run home run in the ninth inning, and the Blue Jays have repeated as World Series champions. Touch them all, Joe. You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. I tell you what, Tom, that still gives me chills all these years later. And that, of course, is the voice of the late Tom Cheek and one of the most iconic calls you'll ever hear in a broadcast on radio. And the reason I bring this up, Tom, is this past week it was announced that this year the Toronto Blue Jay games will not have a radio broadcast. They will, in fact, simulcast the TV broadcast. Now, I'm going to make this very clear. I love Buck and Dan. They are phenomenal play-by-play announcers. This has nothing to do with them at all. Here's the thing. TV baseball and radio baseball are two completely different entities and do you know why tom well because tv you have the added you know benefit of being able to show the game live visually on the radio 
you've got to describe all of that stuff that's happening. You got to describe it convincingly. You've got to paint the picture. Bingo. Of a dynamic, fast moving game. And it's a skill that is wonderful when it's executed properly. And I'm going to make one correction on that. Dynamic, slow-paced game. And it's because it's a slow-paced game that there is a lot of space in a broadcast. And when the game is on television, that space is filled with video. When you're listening to a game on the radio, that space is filled with words and stories, compelling stories. Tom Cheek and Jerry Howard, none were better than those two at doing that. Sitting in the backyard, being at the cottage, out in the car, whatever it is, listening to Blue Jays baseball with Tom Cheek and Jerry Howard. I've spoken to, back when I used to work at the fan, we used to have a number of people that called in regularly, and they were blind. And they said they absolutely love the fact that we have these games on because they can actually, in their minds, see what's happening in this ball game that they can't see with their eyes. I understand that times have changed, and I understand economics are a thing, but you can't do this. You can't take away the radio broadcast. If, if you were to get, say, okay, Dan and Buck and say, all right, just pretend that you're calling this on the radio, okay? It will be too much for TV, way too much for TV. If they say to Dan and Buck, okay, listen, guys, the TV's our priority. Call it like it's on TV. On the radio, you're gonna, there's just going to be dead air, and you're not going to know what's going on. And for them to try to do a blend of the two, it's not going to work. As good as those two guys are, it's not going to work. That is why all 29 teams now, other than the Blue Jays, have a separate radio broadcast. This is why the Blue Jays have had a separate radio broadcast since day one. I've left you speechless. You're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's horrifying to see. And, you know, it, it, unfortunately, it's a sad, you know, just recent example, right? Bell, Bell has done it too, right? It, they're hollowing out our media. They're hollowing, hollowing out how our sports are, are even delivered to us at this point in time. And, and you, you're right. You talk about that space in between. And that space was filled with personality. That space was filled with authenticity. It was filled with great stories. And every step that we seem to be getting, you know, we seem to be taking since COVID has started has been about removing that and has been about wrapping things in a nice shiny package with no substance. And radio is, you know, radio is the antithesis of it. It is, it is, it is the last sort of bastion for that real coverage, that real personality. And, and it's dying across the country and it's the people that own it that are killing it. And, and you know what, maybe it's a dead medium and, and maybe Rogers is just putting it to bed and this is a painful part of the process. But here's the thing, Tom, it doesn't have to be a dead medium. Why is it a dead medium? Well, because there are so many podcasts now where you've got incredible sound, not the AM sound, if you're in the middle of listening to a great interview and you pull into where you're going, you don't have to say, oh, I'm going to miss my meeting because i got to hear the end of this interview. No, you just wait till you get back in your car and you start it again. That's the beauty of podcasts. Who's to say that radio can't do something similar? 
why can't radio, you know, have their whole show be available to stream as well? Like there are things to me that I think can be done. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know what? It baffles me. And, and at a time right now where our country is facing like the hardest time, arguably in our history, Rogers is making like not quite record profits, but almost they're doing amazing. So's bell. They're doing better than 99.999% of Canadians. And they had an opportunity with the Blue Jays, with live sports, with with broadcasting, to, to send something out to Canadians live, to bring us together. Do you remember 2015? Do you remember what that felt like? Mm, can't and, say and that I do. was that was exactly that was radio, that was TV, that was multimedia. And and Rogers is saying it, they said it with their spring training coverage. And they kind of stepped that back. I think they're covering a couple games now. Oh well, like, yeah. They're they they're actually have, going to brought now. Yeah, because Mark Shapiro went on record as saying, hey, what's going on here? Uh, we want as yeah. many games on as possible. And so now Sportsnet's going to produce three spring training games. Meanwhile, I, on, on the same day, uh, I'm trying to think of which Major League Baseball team announced that they'll have every one of their spring training games on TV. Yeah, They have arguably the most valuable commodity on Canadian television and on Canadian radio. And they own it. And they can't right? even be bothered to... Well, that's the thing. This is their property. And it always bothered me when, you know, when I was, you know, working there and the Jays, this was before 2015 and the Jays weren't playing well. So it's like, well, we're going to, we're going to back off on the coverage of the team. You know, this is maybe 2013, 24. We're going to back off on the coverage. Mm -hmm. But you guys want everyone to watch this. So wouldn't you be doing everything you can to push the product? And I never understood that. I never understood. This is your product. You should be covering it better than anybody yeah. is. So, yeah. In an ideal world, yeah, you want you want a baseball team that you want to succeed, covered by media that wants to cover that journey as accurately and as energetically and 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 you know engagingly as possible. Yes. And unfortunately, what we have in Toronto is we have a bunch of people trying to sell us stuff. Well, I'm going to wrap up by saying I think uh, what has just transpired over the last seven minutes is a pretty damn final nail on the coffin of me ever returning to Rogers <laughs> or being hired by Bell. So uh, keep enjoying it. The NSR Media Network and out of the park, there is Tom and I'm Barry. And now it's time for our pal Raj Sapaya. Foundation Physiotherapy presents The Medical Room. We are joined by our good pal Raj Sapaya from Foundation Physiotherapy. Uh, you are currently joining us from one of your clinics with a beautiful background. Uh, which mm -hmm. clinic are you at? And tell our listeners where and our viewers where they can find you. Uh, well, right now I'm actually in our virtual clinic because um, I do treat virtually as well. But uh, we do have three clinics, one at City Place in the west part of Toronto, one in the east side of Toronto in Corktown, and one right in the financial district. Uh, and as well, virtually, we can treat anybody in Ontario. Raj, this past week, a, a very, very scary thing uh, as Tiger Woods rolled his car, and I don't know how he survived it, uh, although they will say the, uh, the vehicle he was in, which just happened to be a Genesis, which is made by Hyundai, uh, helped save his life. But the, the injuries that he is deal, uh, dealing with right now, Raj, and, uh, you know, as I look and see what the... the what they're saying he has. He suffered a 
comminuted open fracture to his right leg. Am I saying that right? Yeah, comminuted. Okay, what does a comminuted open fracture actually mean? Uh, it essentially means it's shattered. Yeah, and, and an open fracture means... Um, Typically, when something like when a bone breaks and they're still and they're still close together, right? Like like that. That's probably more of like a closed fracture, or there's still bone kind of bone in touch. So if there's a bone like that and it breaks, that's more like a closed fracture. But if a bone is like separated a bit more, or even like that, that's open. So you you know it's it's not a it's not the greatest diagnosis to have. Uh, and there's you know likely a few other fragments. It's probably not just one fracture. It's probably several through the leg. You know, the one thing, you know, that a lot of fans maybe have forgotten is that Woods in the past, uh, one of the times he won the U.S. Open, I think it was Pebble Beach, he did that on a broken leg. But even still, injuries like this are, are you know, catastrophic type injuries. Is there a timeline or is there a path even at this point in time? Five years, ten years, two years? Great, great question, uh, Tom. I think... The thing we have to understand with Tiger is, is not just like, we know he, he's resilient, he can bounce back from injury, and he's had injuries in the past, but he was also much younger, right? Uh, so he's also had multiple surgeries. He's had five back surgeries. He's had some other operations. So now you're adding this on top of that on a 45-year-old uh, golfer, right? So I think, I, I certainly think with the right kind of rehab, he's probably can still get back on the pro circuit, uh, but I think that's going to be more of a decision on him himself, personally, whether it's worth it to put in all that work to get back into the pros or, you know, he's Tiger Woods. Can he kick back and relax at this point? So I think most more of that decision is going to be personal. Uh, this injury might just make influence it a little bit differently for him. We've talked in the past about broken bones and how, you know, you put a cast on or a splint to, to stabilize it. Uh, he had a rod inserted. Screws and pins were put in other parts of his ankle and his foot. Uh, the doctor sliced muscle in the area to relieve pressure and swelling from the area. I mean, this is all kind of incredible stuff when you think about what has done. First of all, how surprised are you that he's he's alive today? I mean, uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of injuries. Like, like thank thank goodness, you know, when I first saw the news that you know his car rolled over and there was some grave injuries, but the injuries are are fixable, which which are awesome. Um, you know, you know, thank goodness he's alive and it was, you know, just his lower legs and his legs that are injured. But uh, of course, you know, being alive is the most thing you can be grateful for, right? So when you have that many pins and rods in your body and now someone's coming and they're starting the rehab trail, uh, what is that, how does that change how you rehab them when now you've got a lot of metal in their body? Well, yeah, I, the great question, we have to understand pretty much that, you know, the range of motion might not be the same. Right, like um, when you have a bone that just kind of moves, you know, and and it's been immobilized, let's say, and then you know six weeks later you take the cast off, you know that you're just working with the two the, the joint to, to help it move, but now you have a rod in there, so you know that rod's going to create a little bit more restriction. The rod's there to help the bone heal a bit quicker, probably because of the, it's an open fracture. So we understand that his range of motion might not be full um, for a while, right? It doesn't mean forever. It just means for a while his range of motion is going to be more limited, especially with some so Raj, what you're saying is that it is something that he can overcome. Uh, but if this were to happen to somebody who wasn't a, a high impact athlete, if it were to happen to someone like me and I had all these 
injuries suffered, would I be facing the possibility of never being able to walk again? No, I, I don't think you'd be facing that because that's why you're going to be in physio right away. Because remember, in physio and in rehab, our job is to get you back what you have to do or what you like to do, right? Um, and, and a large part of a normal person's life is the ability to walk. So given the fractures he's had, it's not a neurological injury. It's, 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 not a, it, it's bones. Bones can heal over time, but you will have to relearn how to walk. And I think for, you know, don't get offended, Barry, but for not the most athletic person, for not the most strongest person, their muscles are going to take a, a huger hit when you get into an injury. So there's probably going to be a lot of work in place, a lot of strengthening in place to get back into be able to walking. That'll probably be one of our number one goals um, for most of these lower lower leg fractures. Yeah, one would think one of the more difficult aspects of recovery in an injury like this is the muscle atrophy that occurs if you don't do physio. And for a guy like Barry, he starts out with a muscle atrophy before the injury. So well, I don't have any muscles to atrophy. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you guys right now, um, mark my words, like and this is, you're going to see this with Tiger's rehab and with any one of our rehabs. He's likely going to be in the pool. And that's how we're going to prevent muscle atrophy because uh, your body weighs less when you're in the water. So the best way to get him walking, get those muscles working is in the pool, right? So when he's in the pool walking and rehabbing, he can do a lot more exercise that he couldn't do on land. Uh, and so that'll prevent that muscle atrophy so that he's able to regain that quicker. And obviously, Tiger, with his resources, he's probably going to have access to that quicker. Well, I guess uh, the good news for me is that I don't have any muscles, so you know, I don't have to worry about <laughs> suffering atrophy. from that. Yes, exactly. Raj, as always, thank you so much for doing this. We'll talk to you next week. Well, that music can mean only one thing. Uh, that means Josh Tolley's on deck, ready to join us. And I don't know why, Josh, but every time I hear the song Bubble Butt, uh, you're the first person that comes to mind. Now, I know you guys have a lot of fun and you do a lot of crazy things, but who who's responsible for Bubble Butt? Darren Oliver is responsible for Bubble Butt. <laughs> I played a prank on the Salty Vet um, <laughs> after we left Baltimore, came back to Toronto, I pulled a prank on him. Didn't think he knew it was me until I came up to bat that night. <laughs> okay, so what was the prank? Uh, the prank was it, I put um, reserved reserve tags on all the bullpen chairs for Darren Oliver, so he had a he had a seat because in Baltimore the the bench is so tiny in the bullpen mm -hmm. that he. When he came out there, there was no seats for him. So I made it I made it a point that he was to get a seat in Toronto uh, at the Rogers Center. <laughs> did, did you find yourself shying away from playing pranks after this? No, I actually did it even more. <laughs> nice. So when it comes to doing these types of pranks, uh, some of them 
can be very fun. And in the year 2021, some can be very um, hurtful to some people. So how do you, when you're doing these pranks, how do you kind of gauge it as to know like, okay, am I going to upset this guy or is he going to find it funny? Or do you just get, you just know that your teammates are, are going to get it and not, not take it personally? Well, you know, reading the room, you know who those teammates are. You know the teammates that can take it well and can't take it well. And the guys that can't take it well, I just shy away from. The guys that are, like, going to give it back to me, I go after them. Is that why you gave me such a hard time? Yeah, because you're easy. You're, you're an easy target. You have fun with it, and uh, you'll give it back to me. Fair enough. Who was, your, who was the teammate you had that was the best prankster? over the years um probably a guy by the name of andy laroche yeah i remember him yeah yeah roachy was he was when it came to pranks cool i mean you would you would like tie his shoes together and then you would come in the next day and all your clothes would be moved out of your locker in the freezer like, <laughs> he was coming for us uh so totally the last few weeks we've had very uh serious deep conversations uh, with Chris Colabello, Scott Downs, Latroy Hawkins, we need to lighten the mood just a little bit with you this week. We need we need light. Is that okay? That works yeah, for you? give me yeah. Okay, Let's so it up. so we're gonna play a little game here. Uh, I have selected a series of pictures uh, in which uh, uh, they're of you, and I basically want to get your opinion on uh, what was going through Josh's mind at the time of the picture. So we're gonna start with this one. Uh, you see this picture? Yep. Do you remember this moment in your career? I do remember that moment. Okay, what's happening here? Other than it, you, it was on a on a foul ball bunt, I believe, and I think we were in Houston. That's it. Did you make the catch? I made the catch. What was going through my mind was keep my eye on the ball. I guess <laughs> I don't. Remember. But you know what's amazing? You wear you, you know you wear the helmet and everything. And you, you take it off and throw it. And look at your hair. It's freaking perfect. How do you yeah. manage to keep your hair perfect? I bet underneath that toque right now, and I know you call it a toque now, right? Oh, yeah, no, it's, it's a toque. It's actually not there bad. we go. Not bad. We can't get well, our haircuts here in Ontario yet. Yeah, Barry, that's because I combed it for you guys, and it didn't, still didn't look good, so I threw my oh. toque back on. Well, you played a good hair game, and you maintained your hair. <laughs> uh, it, it's pretty was... common for professional athletes to lose their hair at a young age. Yeah, hey, look at mine. I don't know if you can see it well, but mine's getting gray. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the club, oh, pal. Wow. Welcome to the yeah. club. There's a lot of it, though. Yeah, it's a lot, Tom. A little salt and pepper, though. Okay, so the next one, it's, it's a small picture, but uh, it needs a big explanation. Jeez, huh. I look like I ate myself. Well, what is that? You're a no Yankee. Facial. I forgot about the Yankee thing. Yeah, no facial hair either, Barry. No. Like you are clean, but you look like you, it, it wasn't, I, I, how old were you here? This was last year. That was last yeah, year. Was. What? Yeah. Oh yeah. man. Totally. You look much better now. How Thank was the you. whole, how was the whole Yankee experience for you? Well, it was different because of the COVID stuff. So we, I never really got to feel the, the, the vibe of the Yankees, what it's like. Um, I, I mean, spring training was brief and then that was, I went to the second spring training in Yankee stadium and it's, it's very professional. I mean, it's exactly what you think, how the Yankees will treat their players. It's first class, but 
you never really got to experience the full, uh, the full Yankee thing with fans in the stadium and all of that. Tom, you want to follow so, up before we go to the next exciting yeah. photo? Well, I, I was just going to ask, you know, if, if you had to pick a, a team to come back to, would it be the Yankees you'd be leaning towards or you know, a younger, more upstart team like the Blue Jays maybe? I mean, that's a fun team. The, the, the thing that's um, intriguing about the Yankees is that the AAA team is where was tend to where I end up the last few years is right down the road from my house. Oh, cool. <laughs> so I had it, I had it, I had it pretty good last year, Tom. So you're near Syracuse then where you are then. Yeah. Oh, very yep. cool. Very cool. All right. You ready for the next one? Give it to me. All right. This is All a good right. memory. Now the picture's a little bit blurry. But explain what's happening in this photo, because Tom already no knew what hitter. it was. Yep, first no hitter in Mets history, and 134 pitches later, and we came out to celebrate. Barry, my one regret is I didn't take my mask off to show my hair. <laughs> I get it was perfect, right? It was perfect. Yeah, of course, it was the ninth inning. Now <laughs> we've talked before about you catching, uh, you know, guys that are on a good run. On this night. Do you talk to him at all between innings or do you just keep your mouth shut and not say a thing? So he, he's a, um, Johan's a jokester when he pitches, he, he goofs around the whole game, even when he's in the midst of the game. And this particular night for the first five innings, he was the same Johan. And then at the sixth inning, everything calmed down. And he sat at the end of the bench by himself. Really? Wow. Yeah. And, you know, there was a lot of conversations amongst myself, Dan Worthen, the pitching coach, and Terry Collins, the skipper, as to what 130, like, we know we're creeping to 120 pitches, 115 pitches, so on and so forth. Like, how's his stuff? How's he doing? Does he look like he's laboring? That's who my conversations were with uh, from about the seventh inning on. How does it feel being behind the plate in a game like that? I, the, you know, everybody, the focus is all obviously on the pitcher, but you're calling the game. The pressure must be absolutely immense. Yeah, you know, Tom, we had the opportunity. I mean, I say an opportunity because it, it turned into an opportunity because we had walked a hitter. I always say guys that throw perfect games, how hard that could be. So, for example, Tom, if we get into a situation, a 3-1, 3-0 count, we don't have to throw the guy a good pitch to hit. We can just kind of pitch around him and move on to the next hitter. So there is a lot of pressure going through the game. I mean, you don't want to have a strike three swing and miss with two outs and the ball goes to the backstop to prolong the inning. I mean, that's, that's the pressure and anxiety. Calling the pitches was the easy part, uh, especially with Johan once he got a feel for all of his pitches. All right, next photo. Get ready for it. What oh, in the, are you having a nap? Did you drink too much? <laughs> you look like you're just at the end of a bender and you're just having a good old snooze. Philadelphia just beat me up. I had enough. <laughs> <laughs> Was it one of the fans that did that to you or? No, it might've been there. I no. love the fact that the <laughs> ball is right there in your club. <laughs> they still call them out. I think. <laughs> so that was in Philadelphia guys. I had Ty Wigington hit me at home plate at a collision. This was when you could smoke guys at home plate. And he got me pretty good right on the side of the temple. I went out cold. 
this is the best part of the story that I don't remember. I walked into the tunnel in Philadelphia. I walked off on my own power. I go down the steps, up the clubhouse. Once you get past the clubhouse, you turn left to the clubhouse room or right to the training room. I turned left and sat down in the, like the, the clubhouse, the, the room, like the equipment room that was over in the corner. I thought I was in the training room. Oh, wow. Did you have any lingering effects from that? No, I didn't. I mean, just a little craziness that I have. Other than that, you can blame <laughs> it on. Did you ever see the, uh, the Brian Drolleman collision? Yeah, I have seen the Brian Drolleman collision. I mean, he got smoked. Oh, yeah. How do you guys do that? I mean, I know that, I mean, it can happen. Just like a, a pitcher can get drilled in the head with a line drive. And we saw yeah. that with Jay Happer. Were you with the Jays when that happened to Happer? Uh, no, I was, I was, what year was that, 13? May have been 13, yeah. Yeah, I, in, I believe I so, in, yep. Right. Yeah, I was in option down. But you've, I mean, you've obviously seen that happen, right? How do you guys as professional athletes go out and not ever think about it. Like if you got a guy on third and he's a fast runner and there's a fly ball to shallow left field, are you already embracing for what could happen? Yeah. You, you know, Barry, that's a good question. We used to, we used to practice different techniques while getting hit at home plate. There's different ways on the traje trajectory of the throw coming in, how we protect ourselves. We used to work on that, believe that or not. And then now that we have the no collision rule, we, nobody, nobody does it anymore. But there, there, are, there are ways to do it. Um, like I said, I mean, different techniques that we use. But most of the time, guys, you knew the guys who were going to plow you over at home plate. Yeah. <laughs> and who, who, who were the worst? Who were the instigators? Adam Dunn, Adam, Adam Dunn always comes to mind. Really? And he yeah. wouldn't... Uh... Like, he wouldn't slow down. He would be like, no, I'm coming right at you. This is a train coming on the tracks, and you better move because you might not wake up from that one. See, I always uh, – Brett Laurie <laughs> was like that, right? But he was he was on your team, so it wasn't a, as big of a deal. But um, he just seemed like that guy that would – he'd do what he had to do. And I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's – you knew the guys that were going to do it, so you, 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 you braced yourself that way a little bit. Okay. We've got a couple more uh, pictures to show. So here comes the next one. What is he? He doesn't look happy with you at this particular point. Did he have a no hitter going? And you said, by the way, RA, you know, don't throw one to the backstop because I don't want you to blow this game and get a no hitter. Did you call a rare slider, maybe? <laughs> hey, hey, Tom, you went into a fun fact. I never called my game with him. Really? He called the whole game from the mound. So, what did you oh, like? So, wow. he would give you the signal? That might be breaking news. I don't think I've ever told anybody that. So you literally, honest to God, you literally just squatted the whole game and just waited him, just waited for him to throw the ball to you. Well, I put numbers down. I, 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 <laughs> I had a thing with him. Where I, I would tell him um, he was never. If I called the fastball, he was never allowed to throw a knuckleball, right? But if I put a knuckleball down, which we used the one as the knuckleball, he was allowed to throw any pitch. Wow. Did you have different, because he pitched knuckleballs at different speeds. Did you have different signs for different speed knuckleballs? No, he just threw them whenever he felt oh, like wow. he needed to. So he would know exactly. He was probably, was he probably one of the most methodical guys that you ever worked with? Yeah, I mean, it's without, without question, Barry, the most methodical guy I've ever worked with. Do you know, we actually had him on the show about a year and a half ago. He finally, after a long time, agreed to come on the show. 
And it was an amazing conversation. Now, I've emailed him about six times since then to get him back on and, and nothing. But um, he was a different... Like, New email. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Uh, he, a different kind of cat, though, right? I mean, he was a guy that I rarely saw him kind of hanging with other guys in the clubhouse. He was kind of on his own. I mean, as a guy that had to work so close with him, you have to have a certain bond and relationship. But that doesn't mean you guys are going to be, you know, going out for drinks afterwards either. Right. I mean, we our, our our bond was at the field. I mean, our bond was work time. I played catch with him every day. I caught his bullpens. Like that's just that's just how it was, and that's that's it. I mean, he was an older guy, right? I, I was still fairly young at that moment. So when you're 43, 40, what, however old he was at the time, 40 years old, like he's got kids that are like in high school. He doesn't want to hang out with us. <laughs> oh, that's true. You, you know, I'd love to jump in there for a second because you, you mentioned bullpens and it, it brings up something. I, I was actually at a Dickey start in, I think it was 2015 in September. And I, I brought, I had really good seats right above the bullpen. And I brought my youngest son and we watched Dickey's bullpen. And watching that bullpen affected me in a way that I never thought watching a bullpen would. Because, and I don't know if it was you, you played in the game. He ended up going, I think he went the distance. Uh, it was a really good start against Cleveland, I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly. But I was watching this bullpen, and at the beginning of the bullpen, it became really clear that about half the pitches he was throwing was bouncing off the catcher, not in his glove. It was hitting, it was hitting the catcher in the head. In, in the shoulder, in the knee. And the pitching coach that had been watching Dickey went and got a couple of other pitching coaches. And by the end of his bullpen, about half the pitchers and, and a bunch of coaches were watching Dickey toss these things. And you could hear him saying he really had it going today. And the poor catcher, like, it was just like watching torture. So it wasn't Josh yeah. that was so, catching him in the pen? I'm not sure. It, what, it, would it have been on a game day if you were starting? Because I know you started that day. I think you went one for four, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I would have... Um, have caught him in the bullpen i always warn my pitchers up but all right hey i those i i can understand what you're saying i mean the challenge especially in that um in the tunnel in toronto there the the balls i i've seen him there's been times i walked out of the bullpen and didn't catch one ball <laughs> yeah that that's i've never seen anything like it and yeah. and i was right above you i was right above your head front row watching as as these balls and 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 more and more people are coming and they're like oh he's got it working tonight you can hear it. and he did but you know we, we were talking about the bond that you had and, and did you ever have trouble just kind of being friendly with them after a session like that no no never i just <laughs> most of the time i wouldn't talk to him i just put my head down and say well i'm in for a long night i guess <laughs> now we talked about you catching johan santana's no hitter and how he was very joking kind of thing right if ra was on a game like what would go on between innings because i would often see you and ra talking in the dugout between innings uh safe to say those conversations were not casual conversations about you know what he thinks of the latest star wars yeah no yeah we're not we're not setting up dinner <laughs> reservations uh you know barry it, it goes back to the methodical part he was methodical in a sense we were three hitters ahead we tried to be three hitters ahead right so every time I met with him in between innings, the conversation was, how are we going to start this guy? If we fall behind, how do we want to attack him? And then we would just do the first three hitters of that inning. 
and I just you you would just remember the pitches and off you went. Was going out to the mound something that he did not want you to do in the midst of a game? Because I remember trying to remember who actually it was Jeroleman that was telling us uh, when he would catch uh, Halliday. He only caught him in spring training games, but he was told specifically never go to the mound to talk to Doc unless he calls you to him. Have you ever had a, an experience like that or a, a pitcher where you knew you just stay back there until he tells you to come see him? Yeah, our ace told me point blank, don't ever make a mound visit. Now, <laughs> Gibby would say, Gibby would, Gibby would give me this and tell me to go talk to him so we could get somebody moving in the bullpen. So I would have to slow walk it. He would meet me halfway always. Hey, come on, let's go, let's go. He, that's how it, he just wanted to, to keep the ball rolling. He didn't want to pause in the game. So the fact that this picture, Barry, is showing us standing on the hill, you yeah. might be getting hooked from the game, to be honest with you. <laughs> we're, we're, we're pitchers. I mean, we've seen it a few times where a pitcher gets uh, taken out of a game. Was it Trevor Bauer, maybe? Somebody threw a ball into the outfield stands when they got pulled out of a game, right? Like, yeah. was there a lot of whining and complaining? Like, come on, man, why are you pulling me? I'm having a good game. Like, was there a lot of that going on? Yeah, Barry, but that's all false hustle, I think. Like, when when the guys see the skipper come out, if they've had a good start, if they're into the sixth inning and they feel good about themselves, give up a couple runs, most of the pitchers, they, they want they want the hook. It doesn't – there's not many guys that want to keep the ball into the ninth inning re relevant to what they say. Well, now it's the fourth. Would that have been – yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> that was a couple of years ago. Now, now it might be the fourth. What, do you think that would have been different – well, we know it was different with, say, Jack Morris or a Dave Steve. But yeah. is that something that's changed over the years? Or are, are, are the pitchers a little softer now? Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm not saying, hey, Tom, don't set me up. <laughs> <Whoa. laughs> hey, that'll be on the back page tomorrow. No, um, they, uh, <laughs> they're not softer. Uh, teams, organizations are going. There's so many sports scientists involved now and biomechanics people and, I mean, sleep doctors. It, it, it's turned into the workload management, right? Or I'm not sure I even use the right terminology, but it's something to that effect, right? Like, well, we can't have them work too much. You need to sleep more and work less. And I, that's, that's where we're at. I mean, I, again, I think it's getting instilled in the guys at a young age, like you said, to get, just get, get to the fifth inning and we'll, we'll take it from there. And in turn, I think that drives salaries. I mean, that's, that's for a way bigger conversation. That's there. I, I think there, there's some, there could be some sort of other motivation for why they do it other than we're looking out for the best health of the player. I don't know. I mean, they, they yeah. may, but I, I do believe that there's other alternative motives. Okay. we got one yeah. more picture and this is, this is a sign of how the times have changed because we probably won't see pictures like this anymore. And I almost didn't post it, but I figured it's out there. It's public, so I may as well, may as well, you you're know. You're going to get me in trouble, Barry. It's not that bad. I mean, your clothes are on, okay? Uh, but <laughs> there is one thing that's weird about this shot. It's a beautiful shot. Oh, I just rinsed out my mouth with some Coke. Bull! There we go. That's tobacco juice, isn't it? Oh, I was rinsing my mouth out, Barry. <laughs> you're rinsing your mouth out. Wow. Okay, okay, yeah, I'll give you that. I, I'll, absolutely take, I'll, I'll absolutely take your word on that. But I do have a question for you because it brings up something for me. I remember a couple of years ago, they were talking about uh, getting grass in at the dome and rather than the artificial turf. And they said they couldn't because they, there was no drainage whatsoever. 
So, okay, that was just a rinse off with Coke, just probably by the dugout. But there's a lot of players that, that chew tobacco. And in sunflower my mind, seeds. I think, what, well, and sunflower seeds. And, and like, did you ever like slide in the grass and just get really gooey? Like, it, like, was that a, was that a problem at the dome? No, that was never a problem. And Tom, to be honest with you, I, I've, uh, I've, I have been, Yes, that's there's another picture of, of there's a there's a, a three collage picture of me doing the same thing. And it's something that I'm not proud of. But I, I said you, you do anything for a few runs in the game. So we throw in a rally chew. But um, no, Tom, we, I never felt that problem. I, one of the worst things about at the Rogers Center was when people uh, when players would throw gum on the field, chewed up bubble gum and you would step on it. That, that was, I always felt like that was bad there. I worked in restaurants. We had the same problem. It doesn't even matter. The nicest restaurant in the world, you can imagine. If, if they're not checking under those tables, like almost every seating, gum Sorry. finds its way. Sorry about that, Tom. A lot of that was probably me. <laughs> gum under the table I'm sitting at right now, actually. But <laughs> Oh, dear. Um, in his home. Yeah, you know, and it's funny. Tom and I were talking before the show about... Uh, the Rogers Center, and because it's not real grass, and, and because of that kind of turf, the gunk, the junk, I, I I have a hard time describing to people what the dugout would look like at the end of a game. Oh. Because I would have to go out there and, and shoot my on-camera stuff, and I'd look at the dugout, and I'd go, you guys are an unbelievable pack of slobs. Unbelievable. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're pigs. Absolute disgusting human beings is right. <laughs> you know, I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I always said, Barry, I don't mean to cut you off. I always said what was funny. What, what's funny about baseball is you literally can spit anything you want on the ground. You can throw anything you want, cups, trash, and somebody comes up and sweeps it up and sprays it off for you and you do it all over again tomorrow. Well, one thing that changed uh, from the time I started covering baseball in the early 90s to when I finished is that in the early 90s, at the end of a game, when a player would get out of their uniform, they'd literally just throw all their clothes on the floor and someone would come and pick it all up and, and put it into a bin. At least now you guys have, and I learned this from my fantasy camp days because I, was, uh, I fancied myself as a pretty good ball player uh, when I was there. But, oh, but, but they, <laughs> gave us, they gave us the the tie, the belt, or whatever it was, right? Yeah, the loop, the, the laundry loop. loop. The laundry loop. So you would literally take, and for, for those of you that are, are listening in and watching now, uh, you're probably really fascinated by this, but you would literally put everything on this loop, your shirt, your underwear. Uh, could you put your socks in there too? Yeah. 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 There's uh, the black string. That's right. With the little tie. That's right. So you'd put everything on this loop, and the loop would have your number on it, Right. And you throw it into the bin, and then they would wash it, and that's how they'd know. And then the next day, all your clothes would be nice and clean. Oh, God bless your wife. Do you do, you do the laundry at home? I do my own laundry. Thank God. I, yeah, that stopped a few years ago. <laughs> I know for me personally, um, it was a different lifestyle being on the road for as many years as I was. And you get used to living in a hotel eating in a in a little lounge or a restaurant, not having to make your bed, not having to do much cleaning up at all, going to bed when you want to go to bed, and not really having a lot of responsibilities other than work. Uh, when I'd get home or at the end of the season, it would take me a few weeks to adjust to the reality of life again. Did you have that issue as well? Oh, Barry, every year. Every year it would take me weeks, especially when the kids were younger. 
it was so much harder to come home to, as you said, I mean, you, you live your own, you live two different lifestyles. Like this is lifestyle A and then home is lifestyle B. And you get to lifestyle B and you, you're just lost. You screw up everybody's routine. Man, if I, if I had a nickel for every time I said, I heard, don't screw up our routine when you come home. I mean, I would be loaded, you know, it's like yeah. that, but it is hard. It, it's the challenge of trying to fit back in and go to bed early, wake up early and do those type of things versus the latter. My wife used to refer to me as Roadberry. You're still Roadberry. You need to change. You're being Roadberry right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is it a harder transition coming off the season or going into the season? Uh, coming off, the transition is hard coming off of the season by, yeah. by far. I mean, effectively, you're, let's just call it 200 days. You're 200 days in, a, in a, living a different lifestyle. And then the other 162 days, you're kind of doing life at home. It's, it's the, 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 the gap is so far. Josh, one thing, I, I forget who we talked about this to recently, but about the fact that anyone who makes it to the major leagues had to have had a ton of success as a teenager playing little league, playing college ball. You had to be, you know, one of the best on your team, the best in your league to work it through to get to the major leagues. And it's not until you maybe get to the minor league system that all of a sudden you're surrounded by a bunch of people who are as good as you or better than you. And you're facing yeah. uh, failure like you've never faced before. What was that like for you the first time you you experienced that? Oh, okay, I'm no longer one of the the best players in my group. I'm not. I'm no longer the ringer out there. Sure, you know Barry. I I was actually talking. I was telling a story the other day of my first day in professional baseball. I feel there's some kids that live in Florida, Texas, California that have the upper hand. I mean, they truly have the upper hand because they're playing year round and the competition's better. Growing up in Southern Illinois and seeing from a pitching and hitting standpoint, I mean, it's light years from what professional baseball is. And stepping on the field in Port St. Lucie with the Mets for the first time in 2005 and facing, um, a young Dominican pitcher that has a golden arm and throws a hundred. And I've never seen anything over 80. That was the, that was the moment for me. And, and it happened instantly to say like, Whoa, this is, this is different baseball. And then you start questioning yourself if you belong there. You know, it's something that uh, my, my son plays rep level baseball here in, in Toronto or Mississauga. And, you know, they tell us not to throw during the off season now. And so, you, you know, you hear about the year round players down in Florida and Texas and the advantages that they have, but are they on like, are similar throwing regimens and stuff like that kind of coming down and, and, and mitigating that workload a little bit or. I mean, Tom, that's kind of my point I made a while ago about like load management and work management. Yeah. Like you're seeing yeah. it start at a young age and that's ridiculous. We got, we got good at playing baseball because that's all we did. We played baseball. We got good at playing football because that's all we did. We played sports like maybe they weren't organized, but we were playing stickball in the backyard, throwing the ball. Then nothing, nothing is different. And, and now it's, it's like I said, everybody is so like, 
oh no, don't do that. Don't lift weights, do less. And it's like, no, actually, how old is your son, Tom? Uh, he's, he'll be 11 tomorrow. Oh, all right. Well, happy birthday to him. That's great. Okay. But, but when we were 11, like, that's just what we did. All day, every day. I, when I was 11, that's what, that's what I did. I lived baseball. And it's fun. I can't remember, Barry, who we were having this conversation with. But, you know, back in the 70s, the 80s, the 60s, you know, those kids, when they broke to the major leagues, they were playing ball. They were throwing how many hundreds of pitches a day until they're 16, 17, 18, until they even got into and And then, you know, you've got your Tom Seavers. You've got your Nolan Ryans. You've got your guys that you know, with those iron arms that seem to have disappeared almost entirely from the game. And, you know, is it because we're throwing harder or is it because are they softer? He's asking you again, if pitchers are softer, yeah, that's what he's doing. Are, are we making these kids <laughs> softer again? Right. Like they're not out just chucking the ball for fun and building that, you know, those little muscles. Those, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a professional baseball player, but the, it's how it seems to me. And I've got a son that wants to be. So what do yeah. you think? No. And I, <laughs> I, I agree with you, Tom. I'm not a doctor either, but I know if you want to get good at something, you got to do it and not for a couple months. You know, I, I just, I, I'm a big, I'm a big advocate of going out playing. And, and this is what I, I've, I've always said, guys, was you learn over the course of 162 major, uh, 162 game season in the major leagues, you learn how to play banged up. You learn how to play with some aches and pains. You know what? You know how many days my arm didn't feel good? Probably more. I always said the, the the only day that I was fresh was day one of spring training, <laughs> and then after that I was never fresh again. So 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 the point, the point that I'm, I I, I want to I'll hammer home here is start teaching the um, the toughness a little bit the how to get through it like being being comfortable being uncomfortable. Did I say that right? Yep. Yep. Being, Absolutely. Yep. Like, it's okay that. It's okay if your knee hurts. Find a way to get through it instead of saying, let's take 14 days off and then uh, we'll do some ultra rehab on you so you can come back and deem you 100%, right? So you are, I, I, are you retired now officially? Are you still playing the game? Where are you at? Because you've kind of gone back and forth. Are you, are you, yeah, gonna... I, I, I've bounced around, Barry. I've, I've been with different teams, different organizations. I'm just trying to figure out what's next. I um, I don't think I will have an opportunity to play this year. And uh, I have been hitting and throwing, but uh, I, I have three children at home now. So this is uh, this is becoming much of a, oh, a full-time job, if you well, will. Yeah. So, and, and my kids are at a good age where they're playing sports and um, – I'm able to help them, and I, I enjoy doing that. So most likely, this it'll be a it'll be a wrap for me if uh, if nothing comes up soon. Well, uh, of your three children, Camden is the one that I got to know the best because he was always around the ballpark, and he was always uh, running around like a little daredevil, sliding into things and cutting himself up and all that kind of stuff. And my thought back then was, he's going to be just like his dad. He's probably going to want to be a catcher. He's probably going to have no fear. Um, are you seeing as as Camden gets older, are you starting to see, oh, God, he's, he is kind of like me? Or is he kind of developing his own persona? You know what? I, I, I always say I let my kids drive their own bus, right? Let them drive their own path. That's, that's how I want to raise my kids. And Cam is doing that. I mean, he's a smart kid. He loves science. He surfs. He, he surfs. Plays 
Yeah, he surfs, yeah. Like in the you ocean, know, upstate surfing. New York isn't really known for its surfing. No. I mean, the Finger Lakes are nice, but Stop. I was waiting for so I was setting you guys up for the, that. The one. waves of Montauk? <laughs> is that what it is? No, he takes he he takes a trip to California once a year. Wow. My brother-in-law lives out there, so he'll go out there and surf with them, and he, and he just uh, yeah, he loves it. He's that's uh, that's his probably his first passion, and then uh, and baseball is he plays hockey, plays a little hockey, and then baseball, and but it's. Like I said, he's he's a smart kid. He loves he loves the science stuff. I mean, kids building catapults and everything else. So we'll I, keep we'll keep it that way. Speaking of hockey, I don't know if you saw it, but it was circulating all over social media over the last two days. So it snowed in Texas, and Gibby was out with his shovel, and he did a video of him, and the shovel was like a hockey stick, and he was taking shots with the shovel, and this thing pretty much went viral. Um, Gibby always kind of had a he had a good respect and passion for hockey that I think developed as he came to Toronto. What was your? I mean, because you were in New York where hockey was relatively big. You're from Illinois where, well, you've got the Blues on one side, you got the Blackhawks on one side, you got the Red Wings. Was hockey something that you liked before you came to Toronto? Yeah, I grew up. I grew up watching hockey. I was a huge Blues fan growing up, and then I really adapted it. Like I, I really took a real passion for it when I got to Toronto. That was like, I started meeting some guys that played in the NHL. I befriended them. Uh, Jamie McGinn is one of my best friends. That's cool. And, and he, and that's, I mean, that really is what drove me to, uh, to, to really get into it. I was never a catcher in baseball, but I was a goalie in hockey for many years. And if there's ever a position that you can compare to catcher, I would always think it's goalie because you're in a, in a squat position. A lot of times you're having, Things fly at your head at a very high speed. And at the end of the day, your body's going to be in a lot of pain. Now, I'm 53 years old now. I haven't played hockey in a few years. I was playing like in a ball hockey league, still playing goal. And now at 53, when I squat down both of my knees, I feel pain in them every single time. Um, for you, now that you've had a little bit of time to, to heal, how's your body feeling? Yeah, my I, I always say with with catching, it was the it, after the second or third day of camp, you you're like on a treadmill almost. I mean, once you get the soreness in your in your body, it just stays in your body, and and you don't really uh, find any more soreness. Now, like the aches and pains of the hip, the hip, the knee'll bark once in a while, but I try to I try to do my. My wife is a Pilates instructor, so I, I spend a lot of time over the course of the week going in, doing some Pilates with her when I can, because I, I always say, I think that's what like would rejuvenate me more than anything. And I'm starting to feel better now that, I, now that I'm uh, doing that. That's impressive. So go ahead, Tom. Uh, I was just curious, just kind of more to the wear and tear thing. You know those wedges that you see the catchers using their knees? Did you ever did you ever avail yourself of those and did they you, help? Yeah, Tom. You know, I, I I used to I used to wear those. I used to wear those when I uh, when I was younger. And then when I changed when I changed my setup catching wise, it was significantly it, it made me feel a little bit higher. So I did not like them. Did not like them anymore. We're going to bring on uh, some of our out-of-the-park insiders in a moment. And if you have a question for Josh, uh, you can write it down and let me know you have a question, or I can just kind of go around 
the floor, but uh, we decided uh, we do this every week now, and no one else does this, Josh. We invite some of our listeners to come and join into the conversation, and it gives them a chance to interact. Uh, and we had a lot of interest in you, Josh. Like a, a lot wow. of people said, I want to I want to be on with Josh Tolley. So uh, we're going to invite them right now, and I'm just getting everybody uh, ready to come on the air with us here. So there's Fiona. <laughs> Uh, we've See, got only half of these guys seemed angry when they signed up. So this is true. Hey, we paid hey, them Tom, all to come on the say, show. How much of this crew booed me when I was there? <laughs> uh, well, None of depends, them. right? When you when you were catching Dickie when he was doing well, it was great. Yeah. That's but, right. Yeah, yeah. They they don't appreciate the finer points of the game. <laughs> all right. So no, actually, you know what? Our insiders do. So, yes. Here they are. So joining Love. us on the line right now, we, we have uh, Jody, we have Fiona, we have Sue, and we have Dale. Uh, now, I know the three of you are all from the Ontario area. Dale, tell us where you're from. I'm, uh, well, I grew up in Ontario, but now I live out in uh, Vancouver. Oh, cool. So I'm uh, obviously a big Vancouver Canadians fan now. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Josh, like, before we get to, to the questions from, from our fans here, or your fans here, what was the first take you had when you went to Seattle as a member of the Toronto Blue Jays? Um, well, first off, hi guys, hi to all. Thank you for uh, for for coming on. This is this is great. I, I love when Barry said this is how we were going to do it. I, I thought this was uh, this is a cool. Uh, it, it makes it for a good atmosphere instead of uh, me and Barry and uh, Tom just just rapping back and forth. So um, <laughs> the, the time in Seattle always felt like a home game. That was uh, that I always say that was one of the coolest places being a Blue Jay to go play. When we saw that on our schedule, I mean, we, we would highlight it because we couldn't wait to get to Seattle because we'd get all the BC fans, everybody from Western Canada that just enjoyed and hadn't really didn't hadn't had an opportunity to go to Toronto to watch a game. And that was, I mean, it was packed. It was sold out, Barry. I mean, you, you, you've seen it a thousand times. Oh, yeah. and it was, it, it was so it was thrilling. I mean, and then when you win and you win in their home stadium and the fans are going crazy, I always thought that was cool. All right. Uh, we're going to turn it over to our OTP insiders. Now, if any of you have anything you'd like to ask Josh, uh, we'll begin with Sue and Sue before we get yeah. to a question, um, tell Josh and Tom and everyone else the course that you are taking. Cause I went and sat in on this one year. I think it's the coolest thing in the world for baseball fans. Yes, it's um, baseball spring training for fans. It's usually run at Seneca College, but last year it was run at the Toronto Public Library and then it got uh, cancelled due to COVID. But they're actually doing a class right now. I've got them on my my uh, <laughs> PC and you on my <laughs> iPad. And I just, I've dumped them for now. But, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> Bill Humber runs it, and it's a really great course just to get through the winter, you know, the six weeks of when sort of from January till early March. And um, there's always wonderful guests. You've been one, Barry. I have. Well, I wouldn't call uh, you one of the wonderful we, guests, but... but can, well, you are. I, and we've had Bob Elliott and um, Paul Beeston. Uh, it's just a great way to get you through the winter, you know. It's a lot of learning about, you know, the history of the game and some of the, the great right. things that happened. Like, as, as a baseball player, Josh, 
like I know me as a musician, I need to, you know, I want to know everything about what happened in music before I was a musician. I'm a car salesperson now. I want to learn everything I can about cars. When you got into baseball, how much did you know about the history of the game? You know, when I first got into baseball, I, I didn't know a whole lot, but I, when, you know, when I started really trying to learn it was when I got involved with the Players Association back in 2010 or 11. I wanted to learn the inner workings of how the Players Association got started, the strikes, all of that. And then that's what kind of catapulted me to learning the start of baseball before it was really baseball. And the guys that were, um, had to go off to the war be, and couldn't play. And it, those type of stories are, are what I, I really enjoy. And um, I, I think that's great. I, Susan, I wish, I wish more baseball players or somebody in Major League Baseball or the Players Association would allow allow the ability to go out and spread that that part of the game to these younger players. Yes, for sure. Did you have a question you wanted to ask, Josh, Sue? Uh, just kind of my usual question to... Uh, uh, but you're going to get a good answer player, this week. Former player. Um, what was your favorite thing to do when you were playing in Toronto, your favorite restaurant or go for walks or what did you just like to do to when you had off time? You know, Susan, one of my favorite places in uh, Toronto is the Trinity Bellwoods area. Oh yeah. We, we have a friend. Um, we have a very close friend that has a house there and they had a basement apartment mm -hmm. and, and we would stay there and they had, they had kids about my, our kids age and oh. we became, we became very close with them and there's a park right there right that, that's where we spent uh most of our off days and our mornings the coffee shops the bagel shops oh, good. we would always go to the park um the the restaurant i and this is gonna kill me because the restaurant it's almost not even worth me telling the story because i don't even remember where it is i remember going up the stairs and it was some of the best fried chicken i ever had it was oh, a wow trendy spot but it was awesome nice oh very good okay <laughs> interesting thank you when yes. you're in the, you know in the game for as long as you are and most of the people you're associating with are ball players or people involved in baseball is it hard to make friends outside of baseball other than maybe whoever your best buddy was growing up in high school because it, it's just a it's hard to meet people that want to just get to know you as a human as opposed to uh, i'm hanging out with a ball player yeah, yeah, that's a great question, Barry. I always say you have to sort out the knuckleheads. Yeah, but yet here you are talking to me. <laughs> I should have sorted you out a long time ago. <laughs> you know, the, the thing about it is, is when you're playing professional baseball, everybody wants to be your friend, right? What, what can you do for me? What can you do for me? Then when you're out of the game, they forget who you are. So I always say you find out who your real friends are. Like the baseball friends... That's like um, probably as long as I've been playing the game, there's probably three or four couples that we stay in touch with, and that's it. Is that I, one I, of your friends barking in the background? That, no, I'm surprised you guys haven't heard my kids yet. No, shockingly, we haven't. Yeah. I, I imagine Camden will come sliding in at some point. Yeah, he just tried to steal my phone. <laughs> oh, dear. All right, uh, Jody, say hello to Josh. Josh, say hello to Jody. Hi, Jody. Hey, Josh. How are you? Great. How are you? Good, good. It's it's not as cold here, apparently, because we're complaining more about the snow than the cold. Well, you know, Jody, we had 44 inches of snow right before Christmas here. Whoa. Yeah. 
That's a lot. It's the south side of the lake. (laughs) Yeah, one snowstorm. I've never seen anything like it. So how many centimeters is that, Josh? I have no idea, Barry. How are you going to ask me that? I don't even know what the Fahrenheit Celsius temperature is right now. Shame, shame. Jody, is there anything you'd like to talk to ask Josh? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, It's a bummer that my little guy's with his dad tonight because... He um, is the same age as Tom's son. He is, he'll be 11 April 2nd, so not far from now. And he is hell-bent on being a catcher. <laughs> hell-bent on being a catcher. So um, what words of advice do you have for me and for him when I watch this with him? Well, I, I would say the best advice I can give an 11-year-old kid is don't get caught up in all of the all of the new stuff, the, the kids are gonna start getting information and data technology and, and don't, get, don't, don't get into that. That, that. that will take place as he gets older and gets into college baseball. There's a time and place. Jody, I'm seeing right now where I live is everything is getting data driven already. Right. I, 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 these kids are 11, 12, 13 years old. They're not ready for it. There's no point. Yeah. Teach they just wanna kids, play. Teach the kids how to play the game the right way win the games, have fun doing it and do the right things. Like that, that's, that's my biggest gripe is everybody's teaching what they think it should look like and what the numbers say it should look like, but we're not teaching the kids where to hit the cutoff man. We're almost to the point of what, what Susan, a little baseball 101 type of stuff, like throw the ball to the right base, how to run the bases, those type of things is what the kids need to be indulging in and diving into now. Does it astonish you how often you see it now when you watch baseball from the outside? And, you know, you've been in the booth. You've had an opportunity to do a little bit of play-by-play, color commentary, and you see it before your eyes from up in that box where it's like, no, he's, he should be throwing to second. Why is he throwing to third? And you're seeing fundamentals that are really really off does it does it bother you that to see it happen like that um it doesn't bother me when guys make when guys make mistakes what bothers me is the repetitive of the mistakes and being up having the opportunity to do nine games i did a nine game road trip for the blue jays in 2018 after i got released um and i i love doing it and the game slows down so much from up in the booth and it's easier. So there, you, you'll see the, there'll be reporters, uh, not reporters, but there'll be TV guys, radio guys that'll get criticized for saying, well, they forgot how hard the game is. It's easy to do when you're that high up because that's what the game looks like. It looks mm-hmm. slow. It looks, <clears throat> how did they, boy, they, they have to make, players have to make um, decisions like that, right? Quickly, split seconds, where we're seeing the whole thing happen up in the booth. and. So the mistakes, I understand the mistakes, but I, I feel like the younger generation of players, it's the repetitive of the mistake. And that's that's something that's changed over the course of the years. With technology, you know what I would love to see you do now? Uh, squat behind the plate, have Ari Dickey throw you his slowest knuckleball, and from the time the ball leaves his hand, you're going to reach down to your phone, you're going to send a tweet, put the phone back <laughs> in your pocket, and then catch the ball. Barry, that'll be next. I can assure you of that. <laughs> Fiona, say hello to, hello to Josh. Josh, this is Fiona. Hi, Fiona. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I'm just wondering, what's the best prank that you ever played on Barry? Oh. 
I'm going to get ready for this one. Now, I w- I'm going to tell you this. The, be- the, the most memorable thing Josh ever did to oh, me. Oh, wait. No, hold on. Okay. Sorry, Barry. I'm not, I don't mean to cut you off. No, if you got it's one. It's at the top of my head right now. Hey, didn't I steal your microphone from you? Yes, you did. Yes. You did. And oh, I was going God. crazy looking for that microphone because. Fiona, you've never seen anything like this before. Barry, where was that again? I want to say it was Baltimore. It was somewhere like in the east, but we were on the road, and I'd finished all my interviews for the night, and I was was writing something, and then I'm like, okay, I need my microphone, and I can't find it anywhere. And this thing probably cost about 2,500 bucks or something like that. And I'll tell you what, though. Um, Okay, so 2015. You were there, right? Yes, you had to have been there in 2015. Yep. So the big clinching party was in Baltimore. Yep. After that rainy, awful day. And I get picked up and thrown into a big tub of ice water, the big laundry tub. Now, I already know Burley's responsible for that. So that's like that I know. But at the end of the night, I'm getting ready to leave. And because I was so soaked, I had to take my shoes and socks off. My somebody stole my shoes, and I ended up finding them in the bottom of a garbage pail in the clubhouse. So I'm wondering if you might have any intel on that. I have very. I'm sorry, I have no intel. <laughs> but I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that as as a, a compliment that you guys felt warm enough with me that you would do something stupid like that to me. No, Barry. In all honesty, with being dead serious, it goes back to the conversation at the beginning of of this talk was when you know that you're not going to get upset or yeah. it's going to rattle you. <laughs> like we have the ability, we spend a lot of time together. It's fa- the fact of the matter is we were together a lot yeah. as a group. Right. Oh, hundred percent. So okay. like you're part of the, you, you were part of the group and that's, I think that's why guys, uh, guys enjoyed picking on you. <laughs> well, I always looked at, at myself as being the one that can, be the connector between guys like you and folks that we have here. And now we get to do it for real, which is, which is really, really cool. I do want, while you're talking about stories and Fiona, you mentioned practical jokes, Josh is also responsible for one of the most incredible things that ever happened to me in my career. And it happened just prior to the all-star game in Minneapolis. We were in Tampa Bay at the trop before the game. And Josh, I was telling you that for me to get from Tampa to Minneapolis, I was going to have to get up at four in the morning, take three different planes to connect, and then I would probably miss the media availability. And then you did something incredible. Would you like to share it? Maybe the the five of you have heard this story, or four of you have heard this story, maybe you haven't, but Josh, you take it from here. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know the the exact details, but in a nutshell, in in, in short, it was Jose Bautista was an all-star that year, and he had a private plane going from Tampa that was not full. They had room on it, and I am effectively told him he should have taken you, and he did, right? Yeah, he did. Uh, I was I was shocked because Josh was I like, was too. Jose, let Barry go fly on your jet tonight. And I'm like, yeah, right. And Jose's like, I got room. You want to come? You want to come? I'm like, no, you're joking, right? And it was it was, it was was incredible, Josh, because – after the game, my luggage was taken, put on into a, a limo by one of the clubbies. <laughs> I had no idea, where's my bag? Oh, it's already been taken care of, 
right? We get in this big SUV stretch limo, and there's Jose and his brother and his wife, and uh, I believe his parents were there, his agent. So it's this big group. Everyone's pulling out drinks and drinking in the limo, and I'm thinking we're on our way to the airport. And as we're going on the causeway, Jose says, we've got like three hours before the flight. We're going to stop it at my place. So next thing you know, I'm in his house watching a TV that was probably like the size of the Jumbotron. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. I've been there. It, was, it was real surreal. And then we, we go to this private terminal in the airport where there's no security. You're walking from the car into the terminal with the beer in your hand. And then we get on this plane. And the first thing is the seats would like spin around completely. So you could go in any direction you want. And I was texting to my wife and saying, oh, this is the most incredible thing. And all of a sudden, I thought, oh, we're getting ready to take off. I better turn off my phone. And Jose goes, you don't have to do that. That's not real. That's just what they do on the real big airlines, right? But it was incredible. And, you know, people, there have been a lot of things said about Jose. And, yeah, he could be grumpy at times. You know, he could be a little harsh at times. But the dude had a big heart. And he didn't have to let me on that plane. But he did. Uh, he, he had one of his guys drop me off at my hotel because I was at a different hotel uh, once we got into Minneapolis. So, yeah, I mean, that was pretty cool. Yeah, you know, Barry, Hosey, Hosey was the ultimate pro. I always say that. You're right. Like, he, he, he'd have his days where he'd, you know, but that, that's just, we all have those days. But at the end of the day, there's nobody that cared about people more than Jose Bautista. I've always said that. It's somebody you could, I could pick the phone up right now after not speaking with him for a year or two or seeing him for a year or two, and he would get back. Like, he's just that type of guy. Perfect. Isn't this a great idea, everybody? After the show, Josh is going to call Jose and say, I just got off doing this most incredible podcast with Barry. Got to interact with some of the fans. You got to do this, man. You know, Barry, that's fine. I can do it. There's a finder's fee for this, That's though. fine. That's fine. I'll give we'll you... give you 50% of what we make on the episode. There you go. <laughs> Actually, you know what? We'll give him 75%. 80. We'll get 80. 80. You can have 80% of what we make, okay? 80% of nothing's what? Five bucks. Okay. I, I, I've got my uh, my clubhouse goggles. I'll sell them. I'll trade them to you. Because you, do, you okay, do you still have your deal. goggles? I said, oh yeah, I, we, my kids use them for skiing and snowboarding now. Mine still smell like champagne. Honest to so God. It's the first thing you smell when you go into Barry's basement. Yeah. yeah. Isn't it the best smell oh, in the world? It, yeah. It brings back great memories. Real champagne. <laughs> hey, you know, my, hey, my, my, uh, postseason, one of my postseason hats, I don't remember which one it was, ended up with mold in it. How? Because I, I, it went into a bag, I guess. And I didn't unpack the bag for a year. And when the midst of moving, I started cleaning my bags out, and here I find the postseason hat, and I was like, it smelled terrible in there. Pulled it out. Well, oh, my God. I just ruined it. I still one. have mine. And funny story, um, these are not for the broadcasters. These are for the players and their family. But uh, I had a source on the inside who would put a few aside for me every time you guys want a, a series and say, you know, here's, here's your hat, here's your shirt. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Just don't tell anybody. Much deserved, too, Barry. With all, with with all kidding aside, like I, I've always said that. I mean, there's there's so many people over, that make a full season happen. I mean, you're not you're not a reporter that's going to blast us. You're a trust at least not publicly, reporter. not publicly. <laughs> yeah, fine. You, yeah, right. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> but but th that, that's a big that's a key component to making a major league season work is to have all all parties 
like I said, TV guys, radio guys, clubhouse guys, security guys, trainers, players, the whole nine, everybody pulling from the same end of the string. Absolutely. Dale, we have not forgotten about you. Uh, Dale, say hello to Josh. Josh, say hi to Dale. Hey, Josh. Hey, everybody. Good to, good to meet you guys. Hi, Dale. How are you? Good. Uh, first of all, I'd like to commend you for uh, uh, calling that thing a toque, not like a wool hat. <laughs> an American kind of thing. So that's, 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 that's good. I had to learn the hard way, Dale. <laughs> I had a few questions, and uh, Barry, being the ultimate pro, actually stole him, stole him a couple of my questions. He talked about Seattle because that that's quite the experience. I, I did run into your pal, R.A., down there the day after. Well, I guess it was the day of the first game in Seattle after you guys uh, had came through uh, Oakland. And he, yep. I think he pitched the day before, and he was just walking through the rock and roll experience down there in, in Seattle. It was just uh, so good. I, I left him alone. I just said, hey, nice game yesterday. I think I said, I think you guys are you're gonna, are on the right track now. So I just, I just left him alone. But uh, and I was going to say, interesting cat as well. And Barry took that line as well. So anyways, <laughs> the one question I have now, Josh, is you know, just looking at your stats. Are you more proud of the, uh, the uh, was it, three triples or the two stolen bases you uh, amassed in your career? And and, and in 2014, every time you got that steal sign from the third base coach, where you're saying, "What the? <laughs> what are you?" Hey, you know, I don't know what I'm more proud of because the the I can only remember one triple, which is funny, and it it was in I was with the Blue Jays. It was at the Trop in Tampa. I hit a ball off the top of the wall, and the outfielder went went up for the catch, came down, came down hard, couldn't get up. And the ball like rolled into the bullpen to their bullpen. That's how I ended up on third. That was the one that I really remember. The stolen bases, like they were just kind of bad stolen bases, like back ends. Guy first and second, I'm at first, and the guy takes off and I steal. Like, so I'm uh, I'm more proud of my nine home runs, to be honest. <laughs> it's interesting you say that because every spring training that you're with the Blue Jays, uh, you know, we would make jokes about how, you know, watch BP today, you're going to. Okay, so you're a left-handed hitter, and the Blue Jays clubhouse is down the left field side, and that's where all of us in all the broadcasters and media would be hanging out. But whenever Josh was taking BP, and Susan, I don't know, was it, Susan got nailed by a line drive at BP right in the eye one year. And uh, I'm wondering, it, it, it could have been you or it could have been Adam Lind, it could have been someone. But anyway, you were, you were dangerous, man. Like, you could drive that ball. Holy crap. MVP. Well, hey, I, I, you said it, not me. Of course I could. But you think, that's the thing. Is you, you always had a great sense of humor about that. And there are two ways you could go about it. It could eat you up, right? Or you can just say, look, I am who I am. I'm in the majors. I'm here for a reason. And, you know, my bat may not be the strongest part of my game, but I'm not going to let it get me down. I am who I am. No, you can't, especially being a catcher. You can't, uh, you can't take what happens at home plate behind home plate, right? You, when you're at bats over, you move on. And I, I was lucky enough to have some very good mentors coming up younger in my career. And one thing that stands out that I, I will never forget, they said, hey, Josh, always remember to be able to make fun of yourself when you're hit, like effectively make fun of yourself over the course of the game. Mm -hmm. You make a boneheaded play, make fun of yourself. You're playing in the major leagues. You know what to do. You know how to act. You know how to do the right things. But it's a 162-game season. It's not going to be rainbows and lollipops all the time. You're going to hit – you're, you're going to run into some real hard times 
if you play long enough. And I, I had, and I, I knew how to handle the ups and downs and the lulls of the game. Dale, was there anything you else know, you had? No, it just sounded like he turned his 10 home run into a triple. That's, <laughs> that's my oh, wait, I, hold on. Hold on, Dale. I have 10 <laughs> home runs? No, you had nine, but the one, the one that you, the last trip we explained off the wall and went in the bullpen. That's that could have been your. Yeah, that was run. that was my ten. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're <laughs> exactly right. You know, your owners are. You know, it, it, we can make fun of we can make fun of the nine home runs, but you know, you, you've got a two forty two batting average for your career. Three hundred and twenty three, like you are a singles machine. Do you yeah. take some pride in that, like? Because you were known for that, like you were you were singles all day. Like, do you take pride in that, or have we? Is that something baseball doesn't have enough? Tom, that's pride a great question. That's that's actually a really good question it, because I used to take pride in that. I used to take pride in getting two strike hits to the opposite field. That's what I did for for the longest time when I was a younger a younger player coming up with the Mets. That's what we were taught. We were taught how to move guys over how to battle with two strikes, how to hit and run, how to get guys in for free RBIs. Those are, those days are over. Like they don't, they don't want a, a fat catcher that dumps the ball to left field anymore. Those it, it's just not how the game goes. And it's, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that we're missing that part of the game. And, and I'm, I deep down, I know, I, I know all you guys on this call are all baseball fans. And I, I, I know, it probably kills you to see the industry change a little bit, but stay with it because the game always comes back. Yep. It'll, it'll always come back full circle. So I, I, I'm sure most of y'all feel the same way I do, but I'm 100%, very passionate 100%. about, about speaking, speaking out about that piece of it because it, it does bother me. Well, listen, this was fantastic. Josh, time has just flown by. I uh, want to thank Fiona, Jody, Dale, Susan for joining us as well. And uh, Josh, are you squatting right now? Okay, okay. Well, go ahead. Go have some fun with the kids, and thank you so much for doing this. Guys, thank you so much for having me on. I, I, I truly did love it. We, we're going to do this again. Uh, Tom, and you can bet we will do it again uh, because uh, we, we forgot to actually record. I say we. I actually forgot to record the video portion of our chat with Josh Tolley. So our, our OTP insiders really got an exclusive because they're the only ones, yep. the only ones that will have seen all those pictures that uh, Josh Tolley was describing. Exactly. And, and you know what? The shame of it is, is, you know, they, they have the opportunity to see you and I every week, but this was their only opportunity to see Josh Tolley. And, and he is, he is quite a fetching man. He, he is. <laughs> yes, as we talked about his hair in, in the conversation. <laughs> uh, again, folks, if you want to join in on our Zoom conversations, and last week we spoke with Frank Catalanato, and you'll be hearing that conversation next week. And uh, we're in the process of lining one up with Devin Travis as well. So, I mean, where else can you sit in a Zoom and chat with someone like Devin Travis and just, just talk with him? And that's what you can do if you're an out-of-the-park insider. Tom, how can people become an out-of-the-park insider? People can go to patreon.com slash out-of-the-park. And for as little as $3 a month, they can become an OTP insider. You get a whole bunch of extras. Uh, we're going to be kicking up giveaways shortly. 
And uh, on top of that, yeah, you get this amazing experience where you can sit in with these players and learn what you and I learn every single week, that these are some unbelievably articulate, honest, and authentic people. And, uh, you know, every one of these that we've done so far has been, has felt like an event. Your votes have been tabulated. Time now for Barry's fair or foul poll results. This week's out of the park poll was what do you think of the decision to simulcast the Blue Jays TV broadcast on the radio? We gave you two options, brutal, and you're fine with it. And a very, very decisive majority, 77% feel that Rogers' decision to tank the radio broadcast and simulcast their television coverage is brutal. 23% are fine with it. So as we go, I will say that just like in the relationship with Josh Tolley and R.A. Dickey, I call the entire show. It is all oh, me. It is all me. Also, you don't come anywhere near me unless I tell you I want you to come near me. Okay? You... Well, yeah, but, you know, I hope you never do. Can you come near? <laughs> Folks, thank we you. We all miss human contact right now, right? This is true. And uh, we do appreciate each and every one of you for making us a part of your week. You've been listening to Out of the Park with Barry Davis. Thanks for joining us. Get home safely and see you next time.